Good morning. So we are in Genesis chapter number 33 today. Last time in chapter 32, uh, we saw that uh, God presented himself uh, to Jacob and confirmed uh, his plan. We saw Jacob's uh, preparation for reconciliation with his brother. He moved toward uh, the offended brother. He sent messengers ahead uh, to tell him his intentions. He prayed and he gave gifts. <clears throat> and then uh, we saw Jacob's confrontation with God, how that Jacob was alone and God met with him and they wrestled all night. And Jacob held on and said, I won't let you go until you bless me. Uh, so uh, God dislocated his hip and ultimately blessed Jacob uh, and left. So that's where we find ourselves now, here in chapter 33. Um, this uh, chapter only has 20 verses. So let's look at verse 1 down through verse number 3. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. <clears throat> so if you'll remember, he, when he sent messengers uh, back in chapter number 32, those messengers came back and said, we met with Esau and we told him you were coming and he's coming to meet you with 400 men. So Jacob was very concerned, as anybody would be, because he left uh, home with Esau threatening to kill him because of the trickery and the stealing of his blessing. Now we see that uh, the uh, judgment day, so to speak, has come. And here Jacob looks up, and here Esau comes with the 400 men. <clears throat> Jacob was afraid because he still wasn't sure what Esau's intentions were. He knew that there was a possibility that Esau would be looking for revenge. So what he did was he separated his wives. Uh, and we see there in verse number one, he divided the children of Leah and Rachel uh, and the two handmaids. So he divided them up. Um, now there's a lot of debate as to what Esau's intentions were. Uh, did he plan to kill Jacob? Did he plan to fight him? Or did he plan to welcome Jacob? Uh, I feel that he came to welcome Jacob, but he was prepared to fight if necessary. And we're going to look at uh, some other things, I think, that are real important there here in just a minute. <clears throat> and then in verse number two, he separated the groups. Um, this is our first glimpse into the favoritism of not only his wives, but also his children. So what he did was he put the two handmaids and their children out front, and then he put Leah, uh, which was one of the sisters, uh, put her uh, after the handmaids, and then Rachel and his favored son Joseph was in the back. Uh, and he did that so that if Esau and the 400 men were going to kill them, then uh, Rachel and Joseph would be protected somewhat and probably even might be able to get away. Um, 
Anytime parents show favoritism for one child over another, it will cause problems within the family. And I think all of us are, that's common sense. Uh, that makes uh, envy and strife between the children. Uh, and we're going to see that this beginning here, listen, do you think that the handmaids and the children of the handmaids didn't notice what was going on? <laughs> it was obvious to everybody. You think Leah didn't notice what was going on? You think Rachel and Joseph didn't notice what was going on? Uh, so everybody saw this. He didn't try to hide his favoritism at all. Now, in verse number three, um, <clears throat> there's a couple of things that are real important. First of all, it says Joseph passed over before them. So when Jacob separated his family, he didn't hide behind them like a coward. He didn't hide behind all the women and children. He actually passed over passed over in front of them, and he met Esau first. So if anybody was going to die, it was going to be him. So he wasn't a coward. He wasn't hiding. Uh, he went out and he stood in between uh, Esau and the rest of his family. Now, this part here where it says that he bowed seven times until he came near his brother, that is um, a sign of honor and respect fit for a king. So we saw that in the last chapter... He kept referring to himself as Esau's servant. He told his uh, messengers to tell them, uh, your servant Jacob. And he told the, the he, remember he sent out the droves of herds and he told each one of them, when you come to Esau, say this is a gift from your servant Jacob. So he was, he was humbling himself uh, in the face of his brother. Now, in verse number four, it says that, uh, after Jacob passed over in front, he bowed seven times. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Here we see that Jacob's fear of Esau, although it was very warranted, it wasn't realized. And I think there's a couple reasons why. Uh, Esau had forgiven Jacob and was so happy to see him that they ran uh, and embraced and cried. Uh, through this, we can see the true nature of Esau. Even though he was a very strong man, a very tough man, a very aggressive, very powerful man, he also had a very forgiving heart. Now, going back to that, had Jacob just sent the messengers and said to Esau, Jacob's coming back home. He just wanted you to know. And, he, and the messengers didn't tell him that, your, that uh, your servant Jacob is coming home. If he had not sent these droves of herds out and told every one of them, say, your servant, th these are gifts from your servant Jacob. Had he not stepped out in front of his family, had he not bowed seven times and showed submission and humility, this could have been a very different meeting. Had See, you can't reconcile with someone with arrogance and pride. Had Jacob came back home in arrogance, I am the blessed son. I'm the one that had the blessing. I have the birthright. You are subservient to me, and you're going to bow down and serve me because I'm Jacob, and I'm the one that got our father's blessing. You sold me your birth. Had he come back with that attitude, this meeting between Jacob and Esau and the 400 men would have been extremely different. 
You see, so that's what we have to understand, that God gives us here a very clear path of how to reconcile with somebody. And we can't go back and say, I'm sorry, with an arrogant, prideful attitude because people know that you're not, right? Um, I remember when me and my brother, uh, sometimes when we were little, we would get into uh, arguments and fights, and mom would break it up, and she would say, apologize to your brother. I'm sorry. (laughs) Now, did I mean I'm sorry? No, I'm doing it because my mother told me to do it. I wasn't sorry. He knew I wasn't sorry. I wanted to make sure he knew I wasn't sorry, and my mom knew I wasn't sorry. So then what did my mother do? Remember, I was abused as a child. (laughs) My mother, after we said I'm sorry in a very unsorrowful way, she would make us hug each other. So here's my brother who I'm mad at, who I don't like at the moment, who I'm not sorry. Now I have to hug him. Why did my mother make us hug each other? Because she knew we weren't sorry, <laughs> right? So, but that's, that's how it is. Jacob here did everything right as far as reconciliation, and the reconciliation was very pleasant and was beneficial to both sides. But had he come back with some kind of an attitude without a humble spirit, um, he may not have been forgiven. He may have been uh, killed. Now, verse number five the brothers are embracing, they're crying, uh, and it says uh, they, that he kissed him, and they both wept. And verse number five, he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And Jacob said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Once again, Jacob is continuing the humility saying, your servant, he's calling himself Esau's servant. So all, the, all of Jacob's servants told Esau that uh, Jacob considered, him help, considered himself Esau's servant. And now Esau says it to him and says, these are all the children that God has given me. Now, the other thing that we can see, this gives us a little bit of glimpse into Jacob's heart and mindset because he had all these herds, he had all this wealth, he had a big family, and what did he do? He gave God credit for it. He said, this is what God has blessed me with. Um, and we can take a, 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 a good lesson from that. Uh, if we have a nice home and a nice vehicle and we have a nice family, uh, sometimes that we can be lifted up with a little bit of pride, right? Um, <clears throat> I've heard people say, nobody gave me anything. I worked for everything I have. Now, that may be true, but it's also the blessings of God. Right? God God gave us the ability to work. He gave us the health to work. He gave us the job to work. And he blessed us with raises and he blessed us with all those things. So I can honestly tell you right now today, everything I have is by blessings of God. Did I work hard? Yes, I did. But here's the thing. God honors hard work. God does not honor laziness. Um, I remember telling my sons, uh, they would would ask me that, you know, when they were in school, they had a big test coming up. And they would say, Dad, I'm, I'm worried about this test. Will you pray to help me pass this test? I'm like, no, I won't pray that God will help you pass the test. But what I will pray and what you should pray is that 
God, help me to remember the things that I studied so that I can do well on the test. I said, you did study, didn't you? Well, a little. Well, that's about how much help God's going to give you. A little. Because, see, God, God wants, did, did God want my son, which, which was saved and born again, a child of God, did he want him to do well on the test and pass the test? Yes. But God, if, if, if we don't study the test, God is not going to miraculously put the answers in our brain when we sit down to take the test because we put no work into it. We put no effort into it. But if we spend the effort in studying for the test, we can pray, God, help me to do my best. Help to bring the remembrance, the things that I studied for this test, and God will bless that. See, God blesses effort, and he blesses work. He doesn't bless laziness, and he doesn't bless people that just sit and do nothing. That, see, um, if we want to be blessed of God, if we want to have a relationship with God, we have to put in the time studying His Word. We have to put in the time in prayer. We have to put in the time in thinking about others. All those other things that come into it. Sometimes Christians think, well, I'm a Christian and God's I'm going to be blessed of God because He's supposed to bless me. Here's the thing. You want to be blessed of God? Do more for God. The more you do for God and the more dedicated you are to God and His work, the more blessed that you will be. That's true for all of us. <clears throat> all right. So, verse 7, he says, And the handmaids came near, and their children, and they bowed themselves. So here is Esau not only meeting Jacob, but now he's meeting all his uh, sister-in-laws, all his nieces and nephews, all of this is coming uh, all at one time. In verse 7, And Leah also went with her children, came near, and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. Why were uh, the wives and the children bowing before Esau? Because Jacob told them to. Right? Jacob instructed them. Right? They knew the um, uh, protocol, and this was Jacob's older brother, and Jacob was honoring him as the older brother and basically asking forgiveness. Um, you notice what I said last time about how men are, how that we don't ask for forgiveness. We just, you know, do something for them, and that's, that's, a, that's man code for I'm sorry, right? So notice that when Jacob and Esau met, Jacob didn't bow down before him and say, Oh, brother, I'm so sorry for everything I've done. Please forgive me. Because man code, right? Man, man code was, exists then just like it does now. Esau knew that Jacob was humble. Esau knew that Jacob was given gifts. Esau knew that Jacob wanted to reconcile. And the fact that he ran to him and hugged him and kissed him and had tears was Esau's way of saying, I forgive you. <clears throat> All right, so let's look at verse number 8. And he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. So not only was Jacob calling himself thy servant, but now he calls Esau his Lord or his overseer, his uh, sup, uh, you know, superior. Um, <clears throat> So Jacob, Esau said, what were all these herds and droves that I met? And he said, well, those are gifts to you. 
um, that he might find grace. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. So we see a couple things here. One, that uh, Esau, he also received a blessing from Isaac. But it wasn't the blessing that Isaac wanted to give him. But he did give him a blessing. And we can see that Esau's life was blessed. That he was, um, he had possessions, he had wealth. Uh, he had 400 men that came with him. So why he had 400 men, the Bible doesn't tell us. Was he uh, some type of leader? Then these 400 men were his soldiers. Uh, was it a small army that he had? Was it the servants that uh, worked the fields and uh, took care of the household? It doesn't tell us. But we know that, uh, Jake, or that Esau was a man of means uh, simply because he had 400 men that came with him. Uh, maybe these men, some of them were uh, friends of his uh, that, that he lived near, and they said, oh, you're going to meet your brother. We'll come with you. We, we just don't know. But we know that he wasn't a, a pauper living paycheck to paycheck because he had uh, these 400 men. And what he did was he said, I have enough. I don't need all this. Keep uh, that unto yourself. Verse 10, and Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. So this phrase here where he says, I've seen your face as it was the face of God. Some people think that, oh my goodness, he's putting Esau the same as God, and that's sacrilegious. Well, that's not what that means at all. What he means is, is when I look into your face and I see the forgiveness that you have given me, it's the forgiveness that would come from God. So he said, you, you have the forgiveness of God. So he said, when I look at you, I see the forgiveness of God. In verse 11, he said, Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough, and he urged him, and he took it. So there's a couple of things. Jacob says, please take it. God has dealt graciously with me. So what, how did God deal graciously with Jacob? Well, Jacob lied, and he cheated, and he tricked. He was a trickster. He, he, uh, <clears throat> he, uh, caught Esau in a weak moment and had him sell him his birthright uh, for food rather than just giving his brother some food, right? He was parched and needed something to eat. He could have just helped his brother out, but no, he wanted something in return. And then he tricked his father and dressed up in Esau's clothes and put sheepskins on his hands and on his neck and uh, tricked his dad and then ran away and fled. But God blessed him anyway. Why? Why did God bless Jacob? God blessed Jacob for two reasons. One, because God made a promise and made a covenant to Abraham that his descendants would be blessed and that he would make a great nation out of them. And the other reason why was because when Jacob met God on the way out, remember when he took the, the, the stones and made a pillow out of stones and then he met God there and he committed his life to serving God at that point? That's why God blessed him. Now, 
Sometimes God blesses those that don't deserve it. I'm one of them, <laughs> right? And so this is what he's saying. He said, he said, everything I have is because of God. God has dealt graciously with me. God gave grace where punishment wasn't, was expected and deserved. But God gave grace and God blessed me. And he said, I want to bless uh, I want to pass those blessings on to you because he was making uh, restitution. Now, I want to read here from the notes, uh, verse number 11 in the notes. Jacob urged him to accept the gifts, and Esau finally agreed. It is important that we understand the concept of gift giving. Sometimes the person who benefits from the gift is not the one who receives it, but the one who has given it. Esau did not need what Jacob was offering him, so he really didn't benefit that much. And it actually may have been a hardship on him. Now he had to take care of all these herds and may have had to hire people to take care of them, to find a place to keep them. We don't know what Esau's um, job was. We don't know how he earned a living, right? Uh, but we know that he was a great hunter, and he was a, and he was a very powerful man. Uh, maybe he didn't have any herds. Maybe he looked at these herds and said, last thing I want is a bunch of sheep and cows that I have to take care of, right? You're giving me all these things. I appreciate it. I don't need it. I don't want it. It's just a hardship. <clears throat> so sometimes that when people want to give gifts, it may be even a hardship. It could possibly have been a hardship on him. Um, Sometimes people turn down gifts because they don't want to feel indebted to the other person. Isn't that the pride that we all have? Somebody gives us something, now we feel obligated to do something for them, right? Uh, that's called politics, by the way, right? That's what politicians do. Politicians will do something for somebody else, not because it's the right thing, but because now they've got them pinned in a corner and they owe me a favor and I gave you a favor. And that's a, listen, that's, that's human nature. That's what we're, none of us want to be indebted to somebody else, right? It's, it's okay for me to do something for you, but I don't want you to do anything for me because then I owe you, right? Is that, that's the mindset a lot of times. So it could have been that, right? Maybe he didn't need all this stuff, didn't want it. It was a hardship. Maybe he didn't want to feel indebted to his brother. But if we think about it, the benefactor here was actually Jacob. It was not just that he had a guilty conscience, but, the, but that giving Esau these gifts helped in the healing process. You see, we have to make restitution or else the, uh, the uh, um, reconciliation can't properly happen. See, if you break in my house and steal stuff, you, just because you come back and say, I'm sorry, my stuff is still gone, <laughs> right? If, if you say, I'm sorry, and bring my stuff back to me and say, here's everything I took, that's a start, right? Uh, so here, he, Jacob was benefiting actually uh, more than Esau was. He had to face the sins of his past, Jacob needed Esau to forgive him, forgive him, but he also needed Esau to accept the gifts. It is more blessed to give than to receive, but we need to understand that re to reject a gift can also cheat the giver out of a blessing. There is no blessing when a gift is rejected. 
Have you ever had somebody give you something as a gift? And let's be honest, maybe, maybe they were not, didn't have a lot of money, and they gave you something that you appreciated the thought, but if you, maybe somebody gave you a lawnmower, and you're thinking, okay, I can afford a lawnmower, and if I was going to buy one, I'd buy one a lot better than the one you're giving me, right? But that's the best that that person has. So to reject it is actually an insult. To reject it is actually, how, how, how can somebody make restitution if you don't accept what they're giving you? So restitution is talked about in Exodus. The, the word restitution is actually used in Exodus, not in the verse that I have here, but I gave an example. In Exodus 22.1, it says, If a man steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So when God talks about restitution, he doesn't say make a person whole. What does uh, the law in the United States say? The law in the United States says that to make restitution, you must make the person whole. Right? If somebody gives you $1,000 and you cheat them out of that $1,000, the law will make you give that $1,000 back. They won't make you give them $2,000. Now, you may get a fine, right? you got to pay the $1,000 and get a fine, but the fine doesn't go to the person you stole the $1,000 from. It goes to the state. <laughs> right? That, that's money. That, the fines and things like that go to the state. It doesn't go to the person. <clears throat> but... Here at our law system, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, it says to make restitution, you have to make the other person whole, just like it never happened. But that's not what God says. God says just making them whole is not enough. You have to sacrifice. So if you gave somebody back what you stole from them, that may make them whole, but it doesn't cost you anything. So God says... To truly get forgiveness, you have to sacrifice. You have to give back more than you took, whether it's possessions or whatever. So that's why we have to understand that, that giving of the gifts that, here, that Jacob was doing, it was critically important in his mind because he had to, he had to determine. See, it's, easy, it's easier to make restitution when there's a value on something. If somebody steals a lawnmower, that lawnmower is worth $500. That's a value, right? So you can give somebody $1,000 and say, I, you know, I stole your $500 lawnmower and I sold it. I'm sorry. Here's the $500 for the lawnmower and here's an extra $500. You go get you a really nice lawnmower, right? It's easy to make that. It's easy to determine that restitution, right? Because there's a dollar amount. But how do we, term, how do we determine the restitution when it's hurt feelings? When we talk about somebody behind their back and they find out about it because the person we told, we thought that they were going to keep it between us, but they didn't. They went and told the person or maybe they told somebody else who told somebody else who was a friend of that person went and told them. You ever been there? You ever said something about somebody that you didn't think was going to get back to them and then you found out it did? How do you, how do you mend that fence? What's the restitution for that? $1,000? $2,000? What is that restitution? 
You see, that's much more difficult to determine. And that's basically what Jacob was doing here. He said, not only did I cheat my brother, not only did I trick my father, but I stole him out of a blessing. And how much of a blessing did I steal from him? Esau was still blessed. He had a lot. But would he have had more had Jacob not stolen his blessing that Isaac had for him? So that's why that Jacob gave so much all these, all these animals and all these herds. And remember we talked about 400 of this and 300 of that and 200 of that one. All that stuff. Why? Because Jacob can't put a dollar amount on what he did to his brother. <clears throat> all right. Verse number 12. And he said, let us take our journey and let us go. And I will go before thee. So this is what Esau said unto Jacob. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and the herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, here once again he's calling Esau his Lord. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly according to the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord, unto Seir. So here uh, Esau says, hey, let's, let's go back together. And Jacob says, no. Um, now here we, we just talked about how that uh, Esau should not have refused uh, Jacob's gift. Now Esau, is this not human nature? So Jacob did Esau wrong. Now they're reconciling. Jacob is basically asking for forgiveness. He gives him all these gifts. And then what does Esau do? Esau wants to do something for him. Is that not how we do it? Right? If you do something for me, I want to do something for you. I want to return the favor. Right? If you, if, if you, how many times has somebody helped you do something? Maybe it's snow and you got stuck and somebody with a four-wheel drive truck hooked up and pulled you out of the ditch. How much do I owe you? You want to give them $10, $20. No, 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 don't tie. You see what I'm saying? I mean, why, why do we, they didn't say I'll pull you out of the ditch for $20, but we want to give them something. Why? Because we appreciate what they did. They, somebody does something for me, I want to do something for them, right? So I think that's a little bit what Esau had here is Esau said, well, listen, I'll, I'll go back with you. And Jacob's like, well, very graciously, he said, that probably wouldn't work because you've got 400 men on mounted cavalry, mounted horses, and I've got all these herds and these children, and there's no way that we could keep up, and we're going to keep slow you down. It's going to take forever. Um, not only that, but the camping and all the meals and everything else. Um, so Jacob, Jacob refused um, because of a very good reason. Now, John Philip said, Esau now offered to accompany Jacob, offering him the courtesy of his presence. I don't know that I necessarily agree with, with uh, John here when he said that he was afraid, but he said that frightened Jacob, not because he had any fears of Esau, uh, that Esau would do him harm, but because he had learned the problems of the unequal yoke. Jacob, with his vast, slow-moving flocks and herds, could not be sensibly yoked to Esau with his 400-mounted cavalry. It made no sense. And as soon as Jacob pointed that out to Esau, his brother saw it too. The unequal yoke never makes any sense, whether in business, 
marriage, or social engagement, we are honor-bound to be friendly with the unsaved, but we are equally responsible not to become fettered to them. Jacob used commendable tact in declining his brother's generous offer. Tact should always be used when our overtures of friendship to unsaved neighbors are followed by reciprocal offers, which, however, involve an entanglement, it would be best to decline. So what's John Phillips' point? His point is that I can have a neighbor or a coworker who I consider a friend, and I can do something for them. And if they, in turn, want to do something for me, they may invite me. Let's say that they're, they're uh, a member of a social club, right, VFW or something like that, all right? And the social club on Friday nights have big parties where there's a lot of drinking. And that person that I did something for, my neighbor, says, hey, you need to come down to the club with me on Friday night. We have a big party, a lot of food. Now, should I go down there where all the drinking is and where things get wild and crazy and I've heard about all that kind of stuff? No, I shouldn't. So that's what John Phillips is talking about, that, that we, can be, we can be friends with lost people, but that doesn't mean that we can overstep and uh, participate in things that a Christian shouldn't be participating in because of our friendship. Uh, so I can, I can have family members that are lost, and I can love them, and I can be friends with them. I can have uh, neighbors and, and friends that are lost, and I can be friends with them. Uh, God does not say that we turn our back on everybody that's lost. Unless they're saved, we can't be friends with them. We can't talk to them. That's the furthest thing. That's the opposite of what the Bible teaches us. But just because we're friends with somebody doesn't mean that we can participate in activities that we shouldn't participate in because of our friendship. So we, we have to keep that separate. Uh, so there is a fine line between not being unequally yoked together and yet still being friends uh, with lost people. So that was John Phillips' take on it was that it was the unequal yoke uh, that Jacob was worried about. So verse number 15, uh, 14, let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly according to the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure until I come to my Lord unto Seir. And verse 15, and Esau said, let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, what needeth it? Let me find grace in thy sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. So Esau wanted to do something for Jacob so bad that he said, well, we'll all go back together. And when Jacob said, basically, I really appreciate that. It's, I, I really do, but it just wouldn't work. You know, we, we, we would slow you down so much. And then Esau said, well, let me leave some of the men with you, probably thinking for protection. And Jacob said, there's no need. So Jacob had his own protection. He had his own men, right? He had men that were trained to fight off robbers and things like that. Uh, so basically he said, I really appreciate it, but there's just, it, it's just not necessary. Now, sometimes, uh, have you ever done that? Have you ever, in the moment, offered something to somebody and then you realized, ooh, that's probably more than I should have offered <laughs> Right? That, 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 that's probably too much. And you were actually thankful when they said no. Right? That, that's kind of what this is. Okay? So Jacob understands what Esau is doing. 
because Jacob just gave. And the other thing you got to remember too, the 400 men that came with Esau is seeing all this. <laughs> they just saw Jacob give their boss all these herds and all these things and Esau wanted to do what was right, but he also knew that the 400 men that worked for him were watching him, right? And sometimes, is that not the case? Sometimes we do things because people are watching. Well, it's human nature, right? It's what we do. But it was a thing here to where Esau was wanting to return the favor. He was wanting to do something with Jacob. Now, isn't that, we can take a lot away from this. Okay, think about this. Jacob was the one in the wrong. Did Jacob do Esau really bad? He did. Now you've got Esau, the person that was offended, trying to go out of their way to do something for Jacob, the one that hurt him. Folks, God's way works. <laughs> God's way works. So if you want to reconcile with somebody, we must follow the path that God has laid out here for us because that works. And what will happen is the person you offended will end up trying to go out of their way to do something special for you even though you don't deserve it, right? Because God knows how the human mind and the human heart works because he created us. <clears throat> So Esau, verse 16, returned that day on his way unto Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, uh, therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Now, what I thought was interesting uh, is the Bible doesn't really tell us. But here Esau uh, is going away, right? Uh, and he... Jacob said in verse number 14, uh, I will lead on softly according to the cattle that goeth before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord unto Seir. So that's where, that's where Esau lived, in a place called Seir. And Jacob said, well, I'll, I'll take my time and go as much as fast as we can until I come and see you in Seir. He said, I'll see you in Seir. But then in verse number 17, it says that Jacob went to Succoth. Esau's hanging out at Seir waiting on Jacob. Jacob, the Bible never tells us that Jacob went to Seir to see Esau. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. Just because the Bible doesn't mention it doesn't mean it didn't happen, right? Maybe he went and saw Esau and Seir and then went to Succoth. I don't know. But the Bible, I always thought that was interesting. I'm like, okay, did he ever, did he ever go see his brother? Don't, don't you hate those kind of movies? Don't you hate a movie that the storyline is leading one way and then it goes this way? You're like, wait, whoa, 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 what about this guy? What happened to him? Where, where's he at? Right? And don't you hate it when the movies end and you're like, what? Did the guy make it? Did he, did he get on the plane? Whatever, did he make it? I, I hate those kind of movies. Um, I'm not saying I hate the word of God, but I'm just saying this part right here, that's a question that pops into my mind. Did he ever go see Esau? I don't know. I know one day I'll find out. Because one day when I get to heaven, I can ask Jacob, hey, did you ever go to see here and see your brother? <laughs> I can even ask Esau, hey, did Jacob ever come and see you? Uh, that's a question in my mind. Uh, you know, and 
Does God have to answer every question in my mind? Well, no. But the word of God is great. But that, when I look at that, I'm like, well, did he ever go? I may be the only one that has a brain that thinks that way. Verse number 18. Jacob came uh, <clears throat> to Shalom, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. Now, Jacob traveled uh, from Succoth across the Jordan River to the city of Shechem and purchased a piece of property there. Shalom means peace or in safety. Uh, that's why Jews, when they greet each other, they will say Shalom. That means peace uh, and safety. Um, so some believe that this verse is saying that Jacob came in peace and safety to the city of Shechem. The more popular belief is that Shalom was the name of the city or the name of a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And that's what I believe because that's what the Bible says. It says he came to Shalom, a city of Shechem. So what we would think about, Shechem was kind of like the Tri-Cities. And in the Tri-Cities, you have Kingsport, Bristol, and Johnson City. So we would say Kingsport is a city of the Tri-Cities. So that's kind of what I think this is saying because it says... Uh, Shalom, a city of Shechem, <clears throat> which is in the land of Canaan. Now, Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary says, Shalom, uh, that is peace, and the meaning may be that Jacob came into Canaan, arriving safe and sound uh, at the city of Shechem, a tribute to him who had promised such a return, in other words, a tribute to God. Uh, but most writers uh, take Shalom as a proper name of a city of Shechem, and the site is marked by one of the little villages around two miles to the northeast. So I believe, I agree with the uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary <clears throat> that this is uh, the name of a city. Uh, so basically the name of their city was named Peace and Safety. That's not a bad name for a city, right? Peace and Safety. Sound like someplace I'd want to live. Verse 19, and he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So there's a couple of things here. Jacob is planning on staying because he bought a piece of property. Jacob's days of wandering and driving the herds, now he's found a place that he's going to call home. Now, there's a couple of really critical parts of this that we're going to touch on next time when we get into chapter 34. Uh, so, first of all, he bought a piece of property, <clears throat> and he's planning on staying. Um, so, he bought a field, and it says, uh, from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father. So, he was at the city named Shechem, but then there was... Uh, a guy, Hamor, and we'll see next week in chapter 34 that Hamor was identified as the, the Hivite, prince of the country. And the word translated from Hebrew as prince means king, captain, governor, or ruler. So Hamor was the ruler, the governor of this city of Shechem, which was a very large place because there was a smaller city named Shalom. And this is going to be very, very critically important uh, in chapter 34. Um, 
So he had a son named Shechem, uh, which the city was named after. So either, either he was named after the city or the city was named after him. It is more likely, I think, that, Ham that Hamor named the city after his son. Uh, but understand this. This is the same place that Abraham settled when he first came into Canaan back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. Now, the, the name of the city is spelled differently then, and I'm not real sure why, because the Hebrew word that it was translated from is exactly the same. So in, in chapter 12, I think it's S-I-C-H-M or S-I-E-M, whatever it is, but it's spelled differently, but it is translated from the exact same Hebrew word. So this, so basically what Jacob did is he went back to the spot where Abraham stopped when he came into uh, Canaan. So that's where he bought a piece of property and where he's going to set up his home. Uh, Jacob built an altar there named uh, El Elohi Israel, which means a mighty God is the God of Israel. Once God brought Jacob back home safely and allowed him to be able to be reconciled to his brother, he built an altar to worship and praise God. Now, this is what I want you to remember or think about. Jacob had all the necessities of life. He had his family. He had a means of earning a living, which was his herds. He had a home. He bought land and he put a tent on it. And he had an altar, a place of worship. And that's what we all need. That's, that's, that's what we need. We may think we need a big, nice house and a big, nice car, but really what a person needs is their family, a means of support to make a living, a home, and a place to worship. And Jacob had it all in this spot. And that's important to remember because his sons ruined this for him in chapter number 34. All right, we'll pick up there next time.